0: Hey, everybody, welcome to the Hunting Ain't Easy podcast. Uh, this is Mike Costello, and we are diving into uh, what should be episode seven and part three of our Black Bear series. Uh, the first two parts have been very well received. I'm pretty excited about the, the feedback we've been getting, I've been getting uh, both on, on Facebook, where I've posted it, and on Instagram. Um, a lot of new followers and better than that a lot of engagement people are excited to learn about black bears in california and um, not just the the habitat and hunting issues but also some of the policy issues that we're touching on and so that brings us to uh, our guest today which i'm uh, who i'm really excited to talk to Um, we've got joe condolese on the line here and he is the founder and executive director. Of, and chief bottle washer <laughs> of, the, uh, of the Western Bear Foundation. Um, not a California organization, but definitely embedded in the, in the conservation and, um, and bear management, bear ha- hunting space. And so, um, Joe, I wanna kick it over to you. Um, love to hear a little bit about you as both a, as a hunter and a, and a conservation um, advocate and, and the Bear Foundation.
1: Yeah, thanks, Mike. And I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I love the name of the podcast because boy, <laughs> if you look at social media these days, hunting looks pretty easy. I I have a buddy that says, Man, it seems like everyone I know gets a bear or a big elk. And I was like, Oh, that's just what the pictures they post. They don't post pictures and not getting stuff. So uh I, I do love the name and, and I appreciate Truth. you having me on, buddy. Um, yeah, uh my name is Joe Candilas and I uh I grew up in Butte, Montana, actually, and uh, went to school there for business and uh, just grew up a hunter my whole life. My dad hunted and my grandpa hunted and and kind of have that built into my DNA um, from a very young age. And And oddly enough, was not a big bear hunter until I turned about 17 or 18. And, and I think I, I tell the story often because it leads into why I'm here doing this with the foundation is... I didn't have help. And, and a buddy of mine and I just tried to figure out bear hunting on our own in Southwest Montana. And we're really terrible at it. And hunted <laughs> bears like we did deer and elk and learned uh, in a hurry that we don't know what we're doing and we don't know anything about bears. And so I think the, the journey of figuring out how to bear hunt and learning about bears really brought me to love the species and the sport so much that it like, overtook my passion for deer and elk and fishing and everything. And I just really, you know, really found myself thinking constantly about what are bears doing throughout the day? And, and how can I be a better bear hunter? And how can I be better with finding bears? And, and it really created me to, it it, it caused me to learn about the species, which oftentimes people neglect to do when they're hunting is learn. and, Not like I know everything, but I really dove into learning about it. And when I moved to Wyoming in, in 2005, uh, I moved to Cody, Wyoming, which is on the Rocky Mountain front there. And, and we're in the prime grizzly habitat on the Yellowstone, in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. And, and one of the major recovery uh, zones for grizzly bears and really just saw a lack of um, attention to to black bears. Where yeah. I grew up in Montana, there was a lot of black bear hunters. And we didn't see any grizzly bears. Um, things have changed up there. But when I moved here, it was just so much work being done for grizzly bears and like not a lot of talk about anything being done for black bears. And it just kind of like bummed me out. And I was, and that's not just in Wyoming, you know, that's in Montana yep. and Idaho and in the West. And I just thought, you know, there's a group for elk, there's a group for deer, a group for sheep, a group for pheasants, a group for ducks. And I said, yep. you know, I don't really know of a group in the West that's doing anything to ensure a future for bears and bear hunting. Like, and I, I was so passionate about it and, and I still am. And and that's what led us to create the organization on kind of like a, a, a dual um, approach, you know, um, look at ways to increase opportunity for sportsmen and to conserve sportsmen rights, especially when it comes to bear hunting and advocate, be an advocate for bear hunters. Yeah. And then on the other side of things, figure out ways to increase black bear numbers and make sure there's there's plenty of open spaces for black bears and, and grizzly bears and, and just kind of be a conservation minded organization and use science to dictate some of our motives and, and really be more conservation and conflict mitigation. And then on the other side, hunting and, and you know, making sure our, our sportsmen's rights are protected. And so it's taken quite some time to get to the level we are now. It's a slow roll. Um, And you got to be patient, which I'm not at times. You know, I I feel like, (laughs) you know, our organization started mostly in Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming. And now we have members all over the United States, even in Europe. Um, Cool. And so I think people are really seeing the value in what we're doing. We're an all nonprofit that is all volunteer. So, we are not paid to do our job. We all have full-time jobs and and we do this on a volunteer basis. So all the money we raise goes back to the ground for bears and bear hunters. So I think that's important for people as well. And that's a model we're trying to keep intact as long as we can.
0: Cool. I uh, I, I sent in my, my $30 uh, membership fee about a half hour ago. So I'm a member. I saw
2: that. Thank I'm, you. I'm,
0: a, I'm officially a member of the Western Bear <laughs> Foundation, and uh, I'm I'm curious. Um, you know, for less than the cost of like four rounds of ammo, <laughs> or, or half a box of ammo, we can we can join. You know, most conservation groups like the Western Bear Foundation, and um, I think it's a good investment. You know, I think it's a good investment to to have more names on your roster as as members so when you go speak to uh organizations and you know get into the political game if you have to you can say look we've got you know we've got x thousand the members and here's where they are um but also that money goes to to support the cause what um what are some of the projects that you guys do or where does that money go uh it, either you know in the political arena If needed, or, you know, into the, into the actual work on habitat or out in the, out in the mountains. Yeah.
1: So a lot of like the membership dollars, you know, we, the big reason membership's important to us and you hit it on the head is, is we have we have uh, uh we're building an army of bear hunters that are going to fight for the rights of bear hunters and when we can organize as bear hunters i think you've seen it with what happened in california we are able to organize as one group and one voice yep. and so that's why we love the members is that roster but money that we raise and and get pr- typically goes onto the ground for projects that's either involved conflict mitigation which mm-hmm. is reducing black bear or grizzly bear conflict with humans or wildlife or you know domesticated animals or um habitat or uh um like species like learning about black bears or Mm -hmm. improving populations or so for a few examples like right now in wyoming is our biggest project that we've done we've undertaken and it's multiple years and it's um It's upwards of 50 grand we've spent on on this project. But what we're doing is working with the Wyoming Game and Fish Department and the University of Wyoming, where we have a a professor and a grad student working on it. And then the department's doing all the trapping and collaring for us. But we we're collaring black bears in different mountain ranges Mm -hmm. and leaving the collars on for two years. And we're getting facial data from the collars. And then what we're doing after the collars fall off, which we're just starting next week, is we're building out grid patterns with, uh, with that data. And we're going to put hair snare and hair collection sites out so we can collect individual DNA uh, yeah. evidence of bears. And so what that's going to do is give us a better population estimate in all these mountain ranges, more concrete data than we've had in this state of Wyoming, which typically just uses harvest data to generate population estimates. So now what we're doing is we're on the ground doing these studies and research to try and find out how many black bears are really in some of these mountain ranges, which then re- relates back to the sportsman, right? So if we find out, Hey, in Wyoming, we're a quota based, uh, mm-hmm. a female mortality quota. So we manage the bears in Wyoming pretty conservatively now, because we don't know how many there are. Right. If we come out after these studies are done, we're like, wow, there's way more bears than we thought. Well, that increases hunter opportunity. The quotas are going to go up. And so it increases hunter opportunity. It's better information to manage bears in a better way. And so that's that's like one of our big ones there. And then on conflict mitigation, you know, we're putting up electric fences in Montana. We're doing a $10,000 bear spray giveaway in Idaho where we're going oh, wow. to to um licensed hunters and fishermen um that live in uh grizzly uh recovery zones or grizzly use areas. So yeah. a lot of different projects that are all kind of across the board but you know if it's not conflict mitigation it'll be in like habitat or you know with the individual species itself.
0: That's great. The uh my first guest on this bear series was uh uh Jonathan Fusaro. He's a he's a he's a bear biologist and he was doing hair snare DNA uh, research over on the Eastern side of the Sierra Nevada. I think where a lot of people in California just figure it's, it's not really a, a, a dense bear habitat um, and not a lot of bear harvest goes on over there, but they found uh, just in the town of mammoth, mammoth, mammoth lakes, which is a relatively small town. There were over 40 different bears in that town using the town as, as their kind of their home base and then um, a, a wildlife area, not too far away, but removed enough to be a different habitat. There's like 70 just in this one valley over a two year period. And so that hair snare project is, I think it's exactly what we all need. It's exactly what you guys need to really know, you know, what's that population base look like. Um, I have a question about, like, I've seen some things about grizzlies on your on your website. And yep. it, I've, I've joked to people in California about like, hey, you know, people talk about wolves coming into the state and then you get the people that want, want grizzlies to come in. Like there's a hand, not hunters, but there's, there's people that like furry animals that don't ever go into the wilderness that want grizzlies back in the state. And, you know, I don't think we have the, we don't have the prey, prey species. We don't have the deer and elk needed to support grizzlies, let alone wolves. And I, I think, I think that the, the number one loser, if we, truly brought wolves back in the state or grizzlies would be black bears because wolves and grizzlies will kill black bears. Um, do you guys, is there a, is there tension in the black bear conservation world, um, because of grizzlies coming in and taking over their habitat? Yeah, I would
1: say, I would say there's um, tension, is putting it lightly, but it's not so. <laughs> I'm much trying to really. be, I'm trying to yeah. be
0: diplomatic and not like, yeah. not, not uh, light the fire. I'll just build the, <laughs> build the kindling, and you can light it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I say it a um, there's a lot of tension within sportsman ranks, right? That that are, you know, dyed in the wool hunters and and bear hunters and deer and elk hunters that are seeing the way that the grizzly bears managed and it, how poorly. Um, It is affecting our game herds and just our opportunity and, and, you know, taking over habitat and space from black bears. I think it's more of a sportsman thing. If you look at the Wyoming game and fish department, they've managed the species so well, and that was their task by the U S fish and wildlife service. And they've done a great job and they recovered it. And I think where we're missing the link there is like now, if Wyoming could manage the grizzly bear, we would manage it for health of both species right in grizz they're right. not allowed to so what we have is this overabundance of grizzly bears and that eventually they just take over habitat from black bears like a small black bear is not going to use the same food source as a subadult grizzly right and so what it does is pushes these black bears into fringe habitat different areas and so It's a, it's a huge thing out West here. And, and the more grizzly bears we get, the more we're seeing black bears be pushed to different areas. And, and, you know, I find when I'm hunting black bears and this is totally different than what I grew up learning about black bear hunting was, you know, wherever I traditionally think a black bear is going to be, I'm learning not to look Hmm. because that's usually going to hold a grizzly bear. Okay. So what I'm finding is like to find black bears, I got to look in fringe habitat, you know, where you typically would not look for one, whether it's rocky terrain or, or not as green and lush vegetation or higher elevation, because they just, I think they're learning like, Hey, I can't be in that same drainage or that same meadow as there's a grizzly in there. And so if California were to do it, there's a couple different (laughs) problems you guys would have. There's too many people. Right. I mean, we have problems in Wyoming with them and we're the least populated state. Yeah. Um,
0: Yeah. There's not there's not not attractive land. There's not attractive land in California that's big enough to host to house a a population of grizzlies without incredible human conflict.
1: Yeah. And there's just not the resources the state's ready to allocate to that. It's going to cost millions of dollars. It's cost state of Wyoming like millions of dollars of their own money. And every state in the West is like that. And then you also look at your game herds, right? So you introduce an apex predator, like a wolf or a grizzly, and you guys have, I don't know, but I, I've read enough and to know that your deer herds are pretty healthy and, and you've got some elk herds there. Um, you know, it's going to hurt that. Uh, and it's going to really affect your black bear population is such a secret to most of the people in the United <laughs> States. Like yeah. California is a hidden gem in the West for black bear hunting.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and the state, I just, I always laugh. And we always say we're going to ship them to California because a bunch of Californians a grizzly bears. We're <laughs> so like, bring a trailer. No, we'll load no, them No, like up, three, three people,
0: three people in California, and they all live in the North Bay area. So no, don't ship us your grizzlies.
1: <laughs> you know, they're a remarkable species and we love them. Yeah. I mean, we do a lot with the foundation to work with what our goal for the foundation was to make sure that we're doing what we can to keep grizzly bears on the landscape. But our, we had an ulterior, uh, an ulterior motive, right? Mm -hmm. We wanted more bears grizz on the landscape because everyone on the landscape was a better shot at us us delisting them so we could have managed hunting seasons. Right. You know, we look at them as a resource that the States can use and a hunting opportunity. And that's why we advocate for conflict mitigation, but you know, in the last few years, we've learned like no matter what the science says, it's going to go to a court of law that is going to dictate conservation issues, and and it's frustrating.
0: Yeah. So the delisting, uh, you know, the the argument for it is it relatively new. I mean, I'm sure there was, I'm sure it was people wanted to delist them immediately, but in terms of like it really coming to a head where the body of science. Points to this, the you know the grizzly have population is healthy. There's plenty of them. There's more than we actually say there are, and it's it's okay to delist them. Where are we in that timeline? Do you think?
1: Yeah. So well, we've delisted them twice now. Um, Okay. The first time when they got the appeal, they won the appeal and they got put back on the list. It was because of a food source, a white bark pine crop when we tried to delist the greater Yellowstone population, yeah, which encompasses Montana, Idaho, Wyoming. Um, okay. So they go back on the list. They go back out and do a bunch of management stuff and research. And they say, well, they're not that dependent on white bark pine. And so increasing numbers year over year, and they've met every recovery criterion. So there's all yeah. these criterion in the delisting rule that says, if you meet these for X amount of time, you can delist the bear. Well, we've met them for multiple years and so by all means and intensive purposes this is done it's like delisted should be by the rule yep. and then what ended up happening was we had to have management plans in each state because if they get delisted you got a management plan well management plans in montana i and wyoming included hunting especially well montana didn't sure. jump on right away well the hunting became such a big um elephant in the room that no one was focusing on the science they were all focusing on the hunting after the delisting right and so basically up into september of that year when we were supposed to have a legal hunting season they got we were going to go forth and then they filed an injunction judge christensen did in missoula uh he he accepted he accepted or he filed a stoppage or an injunction to stop the hunt yeah hunt stopped He ruled against city listing. It goes to appeals court. And right now it's just kind of in, I mean, I think they lost the appeal. Like, to be honest with you, like so many people are losing interest just because we're just not like, we don't see the end game being positive for, you know, sportsmen and people that live in this area. And, and a lot of the reasoning behind it was like paperwork reasoning or, uh, they wanted linkage zones built in so the Yellowstone ecosystem bears could match up with the Northern continental divide bears. And then they could jump over to the Selkirk range and they had to have proof of DNA intermixing. And it's like, you know, the bears are already moving back and forth, right? They haven't documented it, but there's bears as far down as, as you know, the Butte and Bozeman area coming from up North and there's bears from Yellowstone moving North up, that so you know it's like but it's just kind of what we think is like they had to rewrite a bunch of stuff and then they're going to have to do another proposal to the list and it's like what's the point they're going to file it in court and appeal it and these these anti-hunting and anti-delist groups are so strong and they can file it in the court they want right so they usually pick a court that's very um favorable to them
0: right wow That's a, that's a long battle. And I, I I can see where it's hard to maintain the energy that's needed and the finances that are needed to, to fight that, um, will, will some of the studies that you're doing now, will, will the, like, will the snare hair snare studies, will those, will those have grizzlies included or is it, is it fairly, fairly focused um, on the black bears?
1: The, 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 the purpose of the study is black bear only, um, what we might find in some of the areas where we do hair snares, depending on what range we might see some grizzly activity that we haven't known of, or maybe knew of, but didn't really document. So, but for the most part, it's grizzly bear only, like in the summertime out in Wyoming and Montana and Idaho, the U S fish and wildlife service does research trapping and collaring for grizzly bears that's built into the plan. So all summer long, they're trapping and collaring grizzly bears. It's like, I always make a joke. I'm like, you know, if a grizzly bear craps, we know. Right. But we couldn't tell you how many black bears are in any of these states in the West. <laughs> I mean, that's sad to me that we yeah. put so much money into these, which we needed to recover them, but now we're there, you know, and now we're just wasting money and time recovering yeah. these things past the level they already need to be at, you know. Yeah. And it's unhealthy for the population. We start seeing these bears getting out into way out of the recovery zones because sure. the bucket's full
2: right like they're gonna push out
1: habitat is full they're pushing out and so when you get too many males in a habit in in a in a population they end up it ends up and it's proven and i saw a study done by the research team for the u.s fish and wildlife service that sow um reproductive rates are declining because of the population is so strong Mm. and they're they're basically starting to try and regulate themselves. And that's because a lot of males are in the population and males will kill cubs. And it's just tough existence for bears in this area. We got a lot of toothy critters out here in in the West and they're like, you know, the bucket is overflowing and then you add wolves into the mix and you got three major carnivores and, and it's just tough. There's just not enough ground and game for them.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Do, um, yeah, you know, just in the last couple of days, uh, a, a woman dragged out of her tent, literally within the city limits of where she was killed by a grizzly bear. Yeah. Um, do, I mean, absolute tragedy and and it's sad because if that bear is found, it's going to be killed and then buried, you know, it won't, it won't go to any good, um, I, I didn't coin this phrase but I, I and I but I can't remember who I stole it from to give them credit. But the the the, the statement comes to mind of that a, a an unhunted population of apex predators that becomes habituated to human contact is is going to it's gonna have tragedy and conflict and and all kinds of negative consequences attached to it. Yeah. Um I mean, will will things like this start to turn people's head like, okay, well, maybe maybe there are enough. Maybe there are too many. Maybe this population has gotten to a point where it needs to be managed.
1: There are people that will never change their perception or ideals. And, you know, like I would say for the most part, the people that live in and around grizzly bears have a healthy respect for them. But we're to a point now where we can only do so much education and conflict mitigation. Like, you can only put up so many fences, you right. know, to deter them from chickens and livestock. And you can only do so many bear proof garbage cans. And you can only do fences around so many bee apiaries, apiaries, or whatever they're right.
2: called, bee, right.
1: beehive things, you know. And, and it's just gotten to the point where, like, there's not enough money for one because nonprofits are funding a lot of this uh, conflict mitigation and right. there's too many bears and too many people what are you going to mm. do fence off ovando of where she was killed you know right. that's not that's not logical and so we have an unhealthy acceptance of wildlife living within our communities and i right. think it goes to deer and everything you know it's like but we also live in their backyard you know my my favorite thing to tell people is we don't have a bear problem. We have a human problem. Yeah. And most times, mm. bear problems are because of humans. But we can't change where we're at, right? We're here. Yeah. and We're all,
0: we're all part of the landscape. They say, oh, the it's bears are true. here first. Like, the bears were here before Columbus got here, but there was Native Americans hunting bears long before we decided to be vegans. Like, exactly, you and know, like bears have bears have been fearful of humans for thirty thousand years because if a bear rolled into camp, it got killed with spears.
1: You know, it's it's like the missing link in this grizzly bear management. That we're, one thing we're missing is hunting, right? And we need to reduce the population back to healthy, sustainable levels. We don't want to destroy the population. We just want sustainable levels, right. but. You know, until we do that, there's not enough conflict mitigation that can be done. And it it reaches a certain point where you're just throwing money on the ground and you're not, you're not affecting change. And and we're there. I think we're on that peak right now where people are so tired of hearing the same things, you know, out here, how to reduce conflict and we educate to death, but people just don't read signs anymore, you know, and it just goes away. And it's like, until you know unfortunately this poor woman got mauled and killed in her tent and there's a lot of people that'll just be like well you know that's part of the deal i guess you know and i, I don't feel that way I'm which like, is such bullshit you... <laughs> i'm yeah, sorry it's just like, like no it, it's like it, it's crazy i'm like what we, uh, human life is less valuable than a bear's yeah that's and that's what it feels like a lot of times
0: that that's where and and that's like the first time you know in in human existence has has that has it tipped that far you know as in like the last 10 years where people where that many people literally shrug their shoulders like eh, what about the bears it's like no i mean humans have been here we are part of the landscape and um there's you know if if they're hunted they will be feel if you get to where they're fearful of humans um they'll be less inclined to habituate and become part of our our you know that on that urban fringe at least
1: and i've um, seen it firsthand and there's been a big argument when the hunting season was going to happen well just because you shoot a food bear is ain't going to make them afraid of humans but it's learned behavior It's going to take years and it's a generational thing. So the bears have been learning for generations that we are not to be feared. They don't have to be afraid of us. So it's going to take years and hunting will have an effect over time. I've been to Alaska several times and hunted and I've hunted grizzly bears up there and I've hunted other species where I've seen grizzly bears they do not want to be around human beings they just right. flat out don't like being around people they'll run if they wind you they're out of there you know and so yep, coming from here going to there it's such a different situation but they have a hunted population of grizzly bears it's like
0: and you're so, safer you're safer amongst alaskan brown bears you yeah know, you or, go down, or...
1: it's just crazy <laughs> i mean we have such a it's so messed up. It really is. This country's gotten so bizarre in it's thinking and, and, you know, there are people that are doing their best and have put their whole careers on the, you know, out there to recover a grizzly bear and they've done a great job. And now what we do to repay them is just keep them delisted. Right. Yeah, it's just silly. So how do you, um,
0: how do you, how do you bridge the, the, the gap or the, or the two ideas of, because I say it too. I love bears. I mean bears are fascinating to me. I think uh, to see one is an absolutely uh, it's a special moment. Um, to get them on my cameras, my, my trail cameras is, it, I love it. They're awesome. The little the, the younger bears are goofy. you know, they mess with your cameras. They're impressive animals. but I also hunt them. And you know, I, 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 t- I was able to harvest one last year. Um, great meat, super clean um you know red meat great great source of protein and so I see it both ways um how but I've heard other people say I love bears I want to I want to go kill one how do you bridge that for people that that think loving a bear is is looking at a picture on a screen or on print but never actually venturing into their habitat and participating in in something like hunting yeah,
1: I think we use the word love in the wrong, word, in the wrong terms when we speak of hunting um, okay. because I have the most, like, they are my favorite animal. They're the most remarkable species on the planet as far as I'm concerned. They're the most adaptable animal you will find. Like, they live in Mexico yep. and all the way up in the Northwest Territories and East and West all across. We got bears in almost all 50 states. They're the most remarkable animal to me. I think when we think of love, we think of we love our children how we love them. And you would never say, I love my child, but I'm going to go hunt it, you know,
2: (laughs) because
1: it's just a different love. Right. I think our respect and admiration is so high. We don't have a term that we can really say like, Oh, I admire bears, but saying love is just stronger. And so I think that's where it gets kind of confusing for people that say, well, if you love bears so much, why do you hunt them? Well, you might like bears because you see pictures and you like to see them, but then you go home and you don't care about bears. Right. But there's a group of us and a lot of sportsmen that have such that high respect and admiration for them that we're doing stuff in our day-to-day life to ensure that those things are going to be out there for those every once in a while, people to come and enjoy, you know, sportsmen foot fitted the bill for all the bears that we have in the United States. I mean, basically any wildlife that's out here has been, you know, brought back by sportsmen from the brink of extinction back when the settlers came yep. and that was sportsmen that did that sportsman dollars. And I think what we say when we love bears, but we hunt them or I love it so much. I think we, we love the species or I, I, we admire them so much. And we're so like enthralled with them, like yeah. almost like a child finding something brand new, like a new toy. Like we're just like obsessed And I think that's the feeling that we have and we hunt them. I always say like I hunt them to challenge myself, but to learn more about the species and because I'm a student of bears. Like I look at hunting them as an opportunity to learn more and become a better hunter and get good meat and, and a cool hide or whatever trophy Sure. in doing so I'm learning about bears. I know more every year than I did the year before and I get to spend time with them. And that's my true passion is like being around them and being in their environment and being surrounded by the nature that they live in and trying to understand their day-to-day routines. And so I kind of, I think love is a a weird term
2: for talking
1: about, like, I love an animal because humans are just so ingrained to think love is like, you would never do something to harm something you love.
0: Yeah. It's probably the overly, overly humanized term. And, and I think yeah. that's one of the challenges we have is when, when people that don't go out and participate in, in the habitat and the wilderness, the way hunters do is, is they humanize everything Yes. and, and they forget that bears are wild animals that, that tear each other apart, given the opportunity. And they'll rip a, a fawn apart at the guts, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, they're they're not humans. Um, but we we as as humans, we have we have both the the privilege and also the obligation of of protecting them. We we have the privilege of being able to hunt them, um, for all that they provide. But we also have the obligation to to protect them, like you guys are. Your focus on on preserving. You know, and prolonging and protecting the, the existence of black bears, as well as the opportunity to hunt them. Um,
1: yeah, and it's, um, it's an interesting thing. And I hear it with a lot of people. And it's not just bears, like, oh, I'm, I love elk. Well, sure. people say, why do you hunt them? Why do you kill them if you love them? They're majestic, whatever. It's like, well... You always, I always kind of want to interject. It's like, your love is different than the sportsman's love for that species. You know, like he doesn't know that elk. Like, I don't know the bear I might kill next year. Right. So I can't (laughs) love something. I don't know. I love the species and I, I admire it so much that like I'm occupied mentally by them constantly, you know? And so it's different, but like you said, humans are always trying to figure out a way to like humanize things. Like, well, I don't know how to conceptually tell you much I like that animal without saying love,
2: right? And just, and it just makes word. it
1: easy. <laughs> it's just a word, you know. And it's it's funny because one thing that I learned over the last couple of years is in doing some research is we almost have black bears in all fifty states now. Mm-hmm. That number is never. We have more bears on this con, in the United States than we did before Columbus got here. Yeah. And the yep. entire time, that entire span the one constant has been hunting. Right. And so you cannot tell me that hunting is detrimental to a species when we yep. have a species that's at record numbers all while being hunted. So as hunters, we also have to say, I love or admire the species so much that I want to ensure a healthy future for it. And part of that is hunting and can, yep. you know, we have to reduce numbers to healthy levels and we have to take adult boars out of populations. So young can thrive and we can get new bears and new genetics into those those spaces and so hunting is part of uh, conserving a species and we know that with bears as a prime example you know
0: when when do you see when do you see uh what are the effects of too many black bears within an area and then and then when does that happen like what what are symptoms of too many black bears being in an area and and you know how does that how's that observed
1: yeah so like the biggest thing that we look at is conflict is what's going on outside of seasons or what's happening during that time frame when there should be a season but the state's colorado and they don't have one in the spring or they're Mm -hmm. you guys and don't have one in the spring right so i look at cities like durango and vale and all those populations if you actually do some research and you look at what conflict is like in those areas It's staggering how many human bear conflicts they have. And it's not bears attacking people. When I talk about conflict, it's bears in garbage, bears in your town, bears ripping stuff down. And when you look at that, that's a prime example of like, there are so many bears that they're having to move into towns to exist. And they're willing to put up with people that typically black bears are more afraid of people than any animal. Sure. They're willing to accept that and move into a town to exist because it's hard existing in other areas because there's so many bears and even in heavily hunted units. And we see it even out here in Wyoming and Montana and Idaho. We have we have pretty robust seasons and we still have a lot of conflict. In right. the summertime and right. the fall and the spring and like just certain areas where i hunt i know the wardens and they're trapping call they're trapping and moving black bears all summer long you know and so it's like we're always going to have that and part of it's the people infringing upon them and them coming down but to me there's so many bears in a lot of areas that the natural way for them to go is closer to humans because they're filling out and so i look at that as like you know, what I look at in Colorado is like probably an overpopulation of black bears. Right. And, and, and California, maybe, I don't know. Um, I have to do more research on your state, but, um, when I see a no spring seasons, you see that kind of boom.
0: Yeah. So we've had, um, in the last month or so, we've had a bear in, uh, Davis, California, which is in the Central Valley, almost equal distance between the Bay Area and Sacramento. So it's like the heart of valley agricultural land. Um, This is the, it was the third time in two years that a bear has been in Davis. And uh, I think it probably came down from the Lake Berryessa area, um, which is a little bit Northwest of it, a little bit like 20 miles Northwest or more. And so that is, not your typical bear habitat. And then there's also a bear recently in either either Oakley or Oakdale, another valley town where you just wouldn't expect to see black bears. And to me, you know, as a as a student, you know, early in, in my education here, to me, that suggests that they're getting pushed um, by the population of wherever they came from. Like they're moving, they're expanding their habitat to seek out you know food shelter uh, mates etc
1: yeah they're looking for new home ranges because the ones they came from are occupied
2: mm-hmm. the
1: food might be scarce because there's a drought season or something mm-hmm. so there's multiple factors but you know when you see it year over year on a dry year or a wet year there's conflict when you yep. see it consistently year over year which i mean i've seen videos of bears in la i'm yep. just like what that's an indicator <laughs> to me that there's too many bears and you know, to me, one of the saddest things with wildlife when, when I see these bears walking in towns, or yeah. you see one that's just scared to death—I mean, it, it breaks my heart. It truly does because that's not where they should be, and that's not right. what they should be doing. And bears don't know their their mode is survival. That's yeah,
0: it. and food, and calories, there, <laughs> calories know,
1: just to survive, <laughs> and so they don't know they're doing wrong. And we as humans expect them to know, like, "Hey, you're in a town." Right. They're like, well, there's food here, dude, and I need to be living. Right. And so it... it's so sad to me to see it, and and everyone thinks, well, hunting seasons are cruel, and da da da. I'm like, so you don't think that letting bears come into your town so they can get removed by game and fish people is cruel? Right. You know, becoming human habituated, that's not cruel because right. now they're dependent on human food and they're going to get shot by a game warden and thrown in a garbage.
0: Right. You know, it, yeah. That's
1: the saddest thing to me.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Getting breaking into grease buckets behind the burger joint, um, yep. It gets them fat and, and gets them the calories they need, but it it doesn't. That does not get them a wild a wilderness life. Like that is not. No. If you want, will you know? Wilderness bears are where bears should be. And having them cruise through town and you know doing their circuit where they're checking on bird feeders and and uh, and 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 food food waste bins in in town is not is not a good wilderness you know life that you that you want for bears. Um, so you know, and there's such
1: an iconic species and something that I always like when you think of wild places and wilderness, you know, like one of the first animals you think of is bears, whether it be black or grizz and then it's just so sad to me to see one in a backyard and it just right. like it just like brings the perception of bears down and then what also does is degrade public perception right? right so people start thinking bears are a nuisance rather than this iconic species that we've had on this continent forever To being like, well, they're like a pig, you know, they're like wild pigs that are just everywhere and they're crazy. And then, then what you get is the species that no one loves and no one will advocate for because they just see them as a nuisance. And that's what's happening with the grizzly bears out here. And in some areas in Idaho and some other areas out West, that same things happening with black bears because populations are so high. We're seeing these things become a nuisance and be, be deemed like a nuisance that, don't have that iconic status yeah as bears should
0: you mentioned spring hunts um california doesn't have a spring hunt uh i i think um well heck remy warren uh we all love uh you know he he gets into california for some hunting each year i think and he called out uh, in the last two months or so on his podcast that if california had a spring hunt we would be the the, the best bear hunting state in 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 the u.s <laughs>
1: <laughs> i'm not convinced it, you guys aren't with a fall hunt but um well just alaska's my, pretty good
0: alaska's yeah, pretty just good because
1: of my um love for color face bears that you guys <laughs> just have so many of so i'm like partial but um
0: we got all the cinnamons in the world
1: <laughs> yeah that, that's my that's right up my alley buddy um you know, the spring seasons are such an important season out West to harvest and, and control populations because the bears are more concentrated on food okay. resources that are limited. Right. So in the spring was so much. Now, this will be an interesting correlation to California just because you guys have bears in every threshold. You know, like mm-hmm. you said, from 10,000 down to 1500. But in the mm-hmm. West, typically we have high levels of snow. And when bears come out, they have to find food and that food's concentrated for a while, right? Right. So they're like on food sources, green grass, clover, big leafy flowers. So we have an ability to focus on that before the rut. When bears are so geared in on food that you can almost like walk up to one and tap it on the ass. It's so keyed in on food. And so what that does is it allows us in the West, like, you know, Montana, Idaho and Wyoming to kind of focus our efforts on certain um resources and harvest bears
0: before the rut now, so is the, the spring, happens, is the spring is the spring harvest a uh, higher success percentage than than say fall is it is a more is it yeah, is it easier it, to target specific harvest harvest objectives
1: and the other thing that leads to that point is there are actually bear hunters that go out in the spring keying on bears because there's nothing else to hunt most right. fall bears are incidental harvests because guys are wanting to shoot deer and elk. And so the number's higher in the spring because you have bear hunters out and that's all there is to harvest, you know? And so you get that high harvest rate in the spring. Um, and then it, it balances it out if you don't get a great fall one. And, and for you guys not having that spring and it'd be interesting in certain areas, you would hunt California, like you do out west Wyoming and Idaho and, and Montana, you know, high Alpine, big valleys, whatever, And you could probably concentrate on some resources. Now, I don't know in the spring, like we talked before, you know, at that 1500 foot elevation, are there bears there in the spring? Are they moving into that from higher elevations because of a food source, but that food's maybe only there in the summer. Yeah. But I still think you would get a very good harvest in the spring because you would have guys out there concentrating on just bears.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And you would get people that are like, well, I'm not carrying just a bear tag in my pocket while I'm deer or elk hunting
0: right yeah. yeah no they'd be whether it's 500 tags or or 10,000 tags it'd be people that are that are choosing to go bear hunt like yep. that's that's it now you might have a few people that are out turkey hunting with a bear tag yeah, <laughs> too. yeah
1: it's, a, it's such a big state with such a diverse like climate ecosystem and you know when you think of the north versus the south and then you get the sierras and then you get like we talked like all them oak you know and it's just like i guess each person that hunted each area would figure that out when you look at montana idaho and wyoming it's like the bears live in the same places more or less you know they're gonna live at some elevation they're not gonna be out on the flatlands you know and there are but that's not where you're gonna focus your efforts you guys have them so just everywhere yeah. So it would be interesting. It'd be really cool that if they allowed it for a couple of years, just to kind of see what that harvest is like. And maybe guys have a tough time finding them in the spring. Maybe they're not in the areas they're at in the fall right. because of that food source. And where do you go in the spring to look for them? So it, but I don't think like, I imagine you guys have bears that don't have to den for very long.
0: Yeah. I think there's a lot of areas in California where they, where they'll den basically they'll, they'll just, they'll, burrow out a, a, a hole in the dirt behind a tree or, or under some rocks and, and they'll just sleep for a few weeks at a time or, or less than that. And they'll get up and move around. Um, Just, you know, maybe, maybe late, you know, mid December to, to mid February, you know, two months maybe where they're, they're kind of crashed out. But um, yeah, this, so I, one of the things that I want to, I want to push forward or figure out how to push forward and this may be like a, a, a three year project or a, a ten year project. Who, who knows? Is is getting to where we have a spring hunt and two tags per person, um, basically a two a two bear limit in California instead of a one bear limit. Um, I think the spring hunt would definitely get us closer to our quota. Uh, now our quota, I believe, it's seventeen hundred a year, and last year we we didn't even kill a thousand, um, and that's out of probably a forty to fifty thousand bear Population, yeah, so massive. So, a couple thoughts. Um, I'm going to throw two questions out. Fifty thousand bears. What, in your experience, and you know, the work you've done with biologists, what would be uh, a maintenance harvest target with a bear population of fifty thousand? And then, secondly, in a spring hunt, the biggest. Thing that people say is, is going to happen that's a negative is oh you're going to kill sows with cubs so harvest target and then the issue of sows with cubs how do you what do you what are your thoughts on those
1: well i mean i think you guys conservatively could kill up to two to three thousand a year with fifty thousand you know i look yeah. at what wyoming kills a year oh 15 18 16 somewhere in there hundred a year okay and but we don't have near the numbers you guys do right? Mm-hmm. So we're killing as many as you with less numbers. So I, I think comparatively, you'd have to look at, and it's hard, right? Because you look at what, depending on what the harvest is, if it's a heavy sow harvest for several years, you can lose those right. numbers. And then, so it, it'd be interesting to see, but you guys are doing that just on the fall with that much population and it's increasing, right? So right. we're not, we're not keeping it down. We're, it's the harvest is not affecting the population growth. So, you know, I would say you're easily being able to kill way more than that. Yeah. You know, and, you know, with the sow and cub thing, it's such a cop out to me because there's so many places in this country that have spring bear seasons with robust bear populations that allow for hunting in the spring. And there's sows and cubs in the spring in these states. So it's like, You just put in a regulation that is like, you cannot harvest cubs or sows with cubs at side or cubs, you know, and it makes people better sportsmen. I got to see if that's a boar or if that's a sow that doesn't have cubs, you know? And so that's an easy one to get around. I think, I always think that's a cop out of like people afraid, you know, well, I actually hear it worse in the fall because, you know, the sows might be impregnated in the fall going into den and if you kill a bear in the fall you might kill a bear that could produce cubs
0: sure sure yeah well i think the anti the anti spring hunt the anti bear hunter sentiment is like the picture of a sow with these little you know ball of fur cubs you know it's an emotional trigger um and i I don't want to be the guy that shoots a sow with cubs by her side. I mean, no, like heck no. I I've I no interest in being that person. Um I want the bears to to you know survive, live live a live a long full life to a maturity and and take a mature, you know, boar or or a, or an old sow that's that's basically dry. Um but they use that emotional trigger of that picture of hunters taking away a a mother bear from their babies but how often does that really happen i know that you know a we could have an educational component have a spring bear hunter hunter course where you have to learn to identify bears how often does that really happen in the other western states that have a spring bear hunt where there's an accidental take of a sow with cubs
1: oh i mean it happens every year okay and, and it's usually I mean I've seen sows put cubs up in a tree and then go feed by themselves sure. for half hour 45 minutes and they just tell you no know, watch it for 20 30 minutes and if cubs don't show up so there's But times what's the when percentage?
0: Happens, like, I mean I like, couldn't
1: even tell There's you if car it's accidents. We all
0: we all drive the highway and there's car accidents too but yeah. you know we all take that risk. Like is it is it is it, is it a significant percentage or is it
1: No no it's a small number and i yeah. don't i don't think they document it i think each state probably has it on record but it'd have to be something that you you dug for the, the interesting thing with the and cubs is these sows that have cubs of the year and cubs mm-hmm. are born in the den or in january february whatever they come out right so in the spring you're like well we don't want to shoot sows with cubs right but go ahead and hunt them in the fall that same sow is going to have cubs in the fall
0: right so right. how
1: is it okay in the fall, but not in the spring? Right. So it's, it's good and they might be further away
0: because now they're six months old.
1: <laughs> they are. And so it's like, I always use those things when I talk to people, I'm like the whole spring season and the cub thing is, is a cop-out, but that is the argument they use. And I think if you guys get to that point and I'm happy to help research the data, get the data is like, yeah. okay, look in Montana, which is a true spot and stock only state, yep. which you guys would be right.
0: Yep. You can do no, no, no dogs, no. No, no, no hounds dogs. and no baiting.
1: So you'd be true spot and stock. You could say the occurrence of sows being shot with cubs is 1%. I'm just throwing that number out there. And you could sure. say we're a similar hunt type, da da, da 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 but we have double the population. So if 1% is the threshold or two or three, you can sustain that and that's okay, but it's going right. to happen.
0: Well, cool. and what percent of cubs are killed by a boar?
1: Yeah. And it'd be interesting to see what you guys are doing in the fall in your own hunt right now. How many times cubs sows are being killed with cubs?
0: Right. Because it's probably say, mostly well, unreported, but um yeah,
2: but the reality the is,
0: is is cubs die, cubs die every year at at the the tooth of a of, of a male bear.
1: They do. It's a tough life for them, you know. And I think I think spring seasons now the trick with Colorado is, and, and this is something that I've been meaning to research and I haven't, and you might know. The trick with Colorado is they did it legislatively. Right. Their spring season. So you would have to go now to a legislator, carry a bill to change and to have a spring season. Now, and I don't know yeah. if California was a, a legislative deal or if it was a game and fish commission ruling. Now game and fish commissions are a lot easier because you can go to them. And right. Speak to them so and you can get the change.
0: Yeah. So the, The conversation there is that currently Fish and Game Commission could change uh, bear hunting regulations. Uh, they're They're not prohibited from doing that currently. The problem right now is that if they touch anything bear related, there's the 100 PETA, Humane Society, Bear League, people that show up and protest the entire thing and so it's like shaking a beehive. Um, yeah, you're and almost so better if, off to just if, <laughs> if, Yeah, so Fish and Game Commission doesn't want to touch it because current state, no hunters show up, you know? Yeah. And so Fish and Game, the way it's been described to me is Fish and Game bridges the social and the science. And so CDFW enforces the rules and the regulations and produces the science through research, but fish and game has a bridge of the social and the science. And so if on the social side, all they have is the, the folks that are screaming and showing pictures of, of baby bears and, and all that, and the hunters don't show up to say, look, okay, we hear those hunter people, they're, they're, they're where they are, they don't care about the science, they care about one thing, and that's just stopping us, but there's 5,000 hunters show up now you have a social argument that says hey the hunters give a damn and the hunters are here as well to voice make their voices heard and so um we can't this this won't be brought forward to fish and game as a proposal until the hunter population that shows up and 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 participates in that forum is meaningful and right now we're not there like we we need to and that's one of the things i want to do is i i want to find you know let's get hunters to speak clearly to not be you know not assume everybody's out to get them because not everybody is there's a very small percentage most people are in the middle and with 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 data and and hunter stories that are positive we can get those that middle ground of non-hunters to align with us but we can't go to fishing game until we've got a good a good base of our own community speaking clearly like we did when the bear hunting band came out in February. Um, that was like, that was a, that was like an event. We need to take that energy and make it so that whenever something goes forward, that voice is clear and it's there.
1: I think you're, you, you've hit the nail on the head. Um, the, the sportsman community is typically very bad at showing up unless something is being taken from them. Right. Right. Which is sad. And we see it in Wyoming, Idaho, Montana, bear meetings and 10 people show up. It's like, you know, they want other people to do for them. And that's the frustrating thing is then you got guys like us that are trying to hold the the weight for everything. And we just can't do it. I think the best thing for you guys to look at is like, can we organize enough to be a consistent voice and have data and research? And if you can find someone locally in these departments, yeah, to help back the play because right. there's got to be some bear biologists around that are going to be like, yes, we can do a spring season. You'll know, lean on those guys. Like, how do we get this done? What do we need to do? And I know yep. the antis are going to come out in full force, but, you know, do I need to show a video to the commissioners and say, is this okay? And there's a bear running down an interstate or right. is this okay? <laughs> and there's a bear eating in a meadow, you know, and I think, <clears throat> you know, play it their game too. You know, if it's, yep. <laughs> if it's imagery and all that we can do the same thing but if you're not organized it's just going to be impossible but i would say nothing i thought some things in wildlife would be impossible until i saw montana uh pass a bill to have a hound season for black bears and i I thought it would never happen and they got it done and i'm like you know what if they can get that done you know, there's no saying we can't do a spring season in, in California or maybe one day in Colorado, you know. And so right. I think where we're at now is sportsmen is in a better place than we were five years ago. And a lot yeah. of it has to do with podcasts and social media and Internet. Sure. It's getting enough people together and meeting or just like almost creating a group that's like a, a California spring bear. Hunting advocacy group and you guys develop plans and strategies to do this and it's not going to be an overnight thing you know like this might take three four years but if you start today you're one step further than you were yesterday and it's going to be a big mountain to climb but you can only get to the top unless you start climbing right
0: right yeah no that's that's kind of how i see it Uh, One of the things I, I, so Colorado, you said that the legislation was, it was, it was through legislation that they took away the spring hunt. Is that.
1: As far as that's what I understand. Yeah.
0: So in California, we've had two different mechanisms dramatically affect hunting opportunity in the state. One has been through uh, legislation and then the other has been through ballot proposition, like, like propositions that that people of the state have put forward on the ballot. And and those you know talk about driving with emotion the ballot box propos- the propositions uh, it's ballot box biology it's not even done at the legislature and so when those go in the, into effect um, fish and game can't do anything like they they're they're stuck and so one of the things I like to see is is I would I want to see hunt wildlife habitat wildlife management decisions be entrusted to fish and game only. I agree. Like, like that is that is where it happens. And it probably has to be a, a constitutional amendment at, at the state it level to yeah. push that and say, look, anti-hunters, you you trust the science, we will trust the science too. We will trust this game commission, we'll trust CDFW, and we'll, we'll have mechanisms to fund whatever science needs to be done. And we'll trust them to do it. And the thing is, is with the Fish and Game Commission, if they make a mistake, like if they do something and the effects are not what were, the outcome is not what was expected five years later, that outcome can be measured and that outcome, that that decision can be reversed by the, exactly. by the commission five years later, as opposed to being, you know, 30 years in or 20 years into a, a, a mountain lion hunting ban,
2: oh, and... I
0: mean. And you've got mountain lions in people's backyards all over the state and, you know, your deer population is one third of what it was 30 years ago and all these other effects. And so I think mountain lions should be out there. I think bears should be out there. And I don't really care if wolves are out there. Like if, if wolves are out there and they are held back from depredation on domestic livestock and they can be hunted and managed, fine.
1: It's a great opportunity for like
0: the, the, All the apex predators can have their place. I'll stop at grizzlies in the state. Cause I don't think that would work. You're
1: not ready for that one yet. <laughs> We're not ready for that. But
0: you know, I, I think, you know, push this to where, and, and so I would say, this isn't so we can get mountain lion hunting back. This isn't so we can get a spring bear hunt. This is so that decisions are made through science at, at, a, at a, at a level where the decisions can be undone if the science changes or the knowledge changes. And, um, and then, you know, the, the arbiter of all this becomes fish and game as opposed to being ballot boxes and, and legislation.
1: Well, that's the way it should be. Wildlife should be managed by those that we pay a salary to manage. You know, right. each state has biologists that their sole purpose is to study and understand and know what that species is. And so we entrust them with that part, but when it comes to decision-making there's states that don't entrust them for that. And so we have to get to that everywhere. It, wildlife yeah. should be managed by wildlife managers, not by yep. people that don't know anything about wildlife other than that they want it. And yeah. so what we see is, you know, it, it's happening everywhere. Um, we see game and fish commissions getting pressured. And and the nice thing about some of these states is they have strong commissions that manage and they're fluid. You know, yep. our bear regulations in Wyoming are every three years. So we don't want to make changes to bear Hunting regulations every year because the dynamics of one season could be very different than another and so if you make a change based on one harvest year and then you go into the next one and that harvest year was an anomaly so three years yeah. balances right so but, they
0: make a plan i mean there's a plan yeah and, and the they, commissions can do
1: that like they're so fluid yeah. that if there's something bad that happens say you had a spring season you guys killed twenty thousand bears they could be like "Whoa, done you know right. we got to shut her down And, but you can't do that with the ballot prop. And when this bill, when this whole thing in February happened, the first thing I thought of was like, yeah, we won that, but when's the ballot proposition coming
0: out? Right. You know, to go against it, scares me (laughs) to go against it, to turn it over,
1: to turn it. Right. Right. And, and you're in a state that is going to be like the popular vote is going to be don't hunt bears. And it's a bunch of people that know nothing about it. Right. That are going to vote like. And that's what happened in Colorado. You know, there's a lot of people that hunt in Colorado, but they've got some big cities that don't understand it and they just vote however sure. they want. And oh, it's yeah. emotional, not science-based. And it's just ridiculous. Yeah,
0: yeah no, absolutely. Yeah, so the, the, the idea of returning uh, things to science is, um, you know, to be, oh, you want to mount, hunt mountain lions? I'm like, yeah. no, I, I, don't, I don't know what the science would say. You know, I don't know what, the, I can't predict what the science would say. The science may say you can't hunt mountain lions or it may say that you can take 10 a year. Um, I don't know. And those tags would be very expensive and they'd raise a lot of money for, to pay for more biologists. Yeah, <laughs> um, Jonathan, uh, who was on, who's a biologist, he, I, I was looking at one of his... Um, I was looking at one of his, his research papers and I can't remember if it's a research paper or, or an interview with him or something like that. But there was a statement that one of his professors or somebody that he worked with said, as a wildlife biologist, if you're doing your job right, half of your constituency will hate you all the time. Like you'll always have the anti hunters will always be mad at you. And the hunters will always be mad at you yes because you're gonna find this middle 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 road that's supported by science you know you're not gonna eradicate a species you know even if people think you should and you're not gonna stop hunting, even though people think you know some people think you should and so and that's the beauty of it is that you know the, the true science-based biology wildlife decisions based on that um you know, they'll, they'll balance, they'll balance it and it'll be focused on, on a long view too, that is measurable over time. And, um, you know, I think back when, uh, there was a time where California had like a million deer, you know, I think, you know, in like the 1950s and now we have maybe 350,000 deer in the state. It's like, but there were, there was, there was very few wolves, you know, or there were no wolves. There was very few bears, you know bears were killed with poison, like apex Mm -hmm. predators were killed, you know, indiscriminately with poison. And I think people need to understand that that's not where hunters are nowadays. Like, we don't want that, like, we don't want to go back to that. We want to go to a place of management that's got in us, you know, that's helped us succeed with so many other species. Um, but, you know, and exactly back to what you guys are doing is, is protect and preserve the population of bears and the opportunity to hunt them
1: yep and it's interesting like back in the day those days you know in, in like montana i think in wyoming you just got a bear license with your elk tech you know right. no one cared about them and and we've gotten to the point now where every hunter that i know is not out hunting something to eradicate it they right. want to see the opportunity so they will never hunters are the species best advocate Yep. So we are black bears, best advocate, mule deer, elk, whatever. We're the best advocate because we want a sustainable resource forever and we yep. want more opportunity. And so we are the true mechanism that will keep things from being extinct or put on the endangered species list. We are hunters. We will ensure that happens because we're selfish and we want
2: to, <laughs> right.
1: to <hunt> these things <laughs> right you know? and so it was always funny with the grizzly bear I said these people think we want to eradicate them Mm-mm. we want a sustainable po- I want a chance for my daughter to hunt a grizzly bear in Wyoming yeah. or Montana or Idaho I'm like and what we have to create with the grizzly bear is hunter advocates right because the public perception of grizzly bears is so poor now yeah that the best thing for them is a hunting season where we have hunters that are like yes i'm pro grizzly bear now i can hunt them i'm gonna do whatever it takes to make sure grizzly bears are sustained on this landscape for perpetuity so i can hunt them
0: could you imagine what a grizzly tag draw would raise in funding for montana or wyoming or idaho
1: well when wyoming did it it was a gob of money
0: yeah i mean i would Um, imagine that in terms of just if it was a draw system um If 500 tags you'd have 50,000 people put in for it
1: it was so much money and and it could be a lot of money and it was super regulated like we weren't even oh, gonna yeah. kill that many bears and it's like yeah dude we're killing double that just for killing nuisance bears
0: and that's what's that's i think that should be public i think that should be front page news in every town where that happens, this bear was was dragged out of a den or this bear was trapped and shot and buried because that is our management tool. That is our current, like that should be front and center. Like our management tool that we're using now is that method as opposed to hunting wilderness bears for meat, for sport, funding, et cetera.
1: Yeah, it's a frustrating thing. And, and unfortunately, the states have done such a remarkable job and they're the ones on the ground and they're doing such a good job. And they are just like, I am being told how to manage grizzly bears by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, who is being right. told by a court of law.
2: Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. So
1: you got these guys that are like, yeah, I want to see them hunted. Most of the state guys on the ground are like, I agree, we should be hunting them. But they're like, we are being told how to manage them. Right. And that's, that. it's almost like to the point where if the states don't just say, you know what, you're going to keep them regulated. They're your bears. You deal with it. Right. We're going to do what we want to do as a state. And I honestly, that may happen one day yeah. because I don't see an end game for this grizzly bear until the states just say, you know what, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, we spend most of the money for it. So yeah. you manage them, right. let them run rampant, let the right. people deal with them and yeah. see what happens
0: yeah and that's and that's and that's sad and that's ugly yeah you know it's sad it's ugly it shouldn't get to that point nobody nobody wins the bears don't win nope. the other wildlife that you know the prey species don't win and the, and people don't win on that and that's and that's you know and i you know i think keep keep up the fight um in terms of, of, of not letting it get to that point, but I won't that's, ever stop. it's, it's yeah, gotta it's happen at some been point.
1: Something I said, before I die, I hope I see it at least happen once or twice, you know, where we have a hunting season for Grizz in the lower 48 again, Yeah, you know, it, it, it would be a pretty remarkable thing. It's a great success story. And I think that's it what is. we have to focus on. Like these things were on the brink, yep. you know, in 1970s, there weren't many left. And now we're talking about, there's too many. I'm like, right. let's focus. Like it was a, the, the listing thing worked.
2: Right. It's right. It
1: exactly. It's a few times it probably has. And yeah. it's like, great, let's focus on that. We did it. And now we can have a sustainable population, but everyone's like, no, God will kill them all. And it's like, you don't even know what you're talking about.
0: Right. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Unfortunate. So, Hey, I, I want to hear, I want to hear a hunting story. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's, let's wrap this up with a hunting story because, uh, I, I, cause I know, I know that a lot of people that are listening, you know, we have mostly incidental take in California. I know that people are starting to get turned on to, to the idea of going out and intentionally hunting bears. So, so tell me about, tell me a hunting story and, and tell me a little bit about how you, how you, how you do it. Like, how do you approach the hunting process in terms of, uh, of, of, you know, going into an area and, and it being successful?
1: Yeah. For me, a lot of it's done not during bear season. Um, okay. so I'm just so bare minded that I'm looking for places to hunt. All the time. And and I actually keep a journal, which has helped me a lot. Keep thoughts in my head of like, I might go fishing in a backcountry spot that I hike into and like I've never been in. And I might look at the terrain and the landscape and the food and be like, this would be a really cool place to come in the fall. And so I'll write it down. I might come back that day and do some research on Google earth, which I use a lot and on X maps. And I'll I'll do a lot of homework and then I might never get there for three or four years, but I have those places in mind that I'm always looking (laughs) for. Like it's, it's bizarre, but I'm like constantly researching and looking for habitat to hunt bears in. And yeah you know, the habitat where I hunt is a little different than where you guys hunt. So I'm always looking for those, but then you find the one or two places every year that consistently pan out for you that you Mm -hmm. kind of focus most of your efforts on. And sometimes you'll get into one of those new spots and you're like, okay, this is a yearly thing. I have to come in here. And you know, I'm just always looking in the spring for places that green up fast, not have food water cover and I like to look for funnels, natural funnels, like so okay. bears come out of the high country, they come down and they're looking for food. And as they come down, a lot of times they hit these bottoms of these drainages that green up fast in the bottoms and they'll move down these drainages like a funnel until they find green grass. And then they, they occupy that space until the green grass is higher on the mountain and then they start spreading out. And so that's kind of what I like to do. Um, and so I that's a, a that's of- a
0: spring tech. That's a spring technique, right? Yeah. Okay. In the
1: fall, you got to find food sources. So it's berries or mass crops, whether it's nuts or whatever, corn agriculture, you know, and yeah. so they're going to be so concentrated on that and that can be hard to find sometimes. And so that's why I like hunting the spring the most. I've killed some bears in the fall, but, um, you know, and then, it's a lot of time in the binoculars and in optics out here. You know, I let my eyes do a lot of the work and I spend a lot of time looking and I might find places where I see quite a few bears that I can't figure out how to get to in a timely <laughs> manner, you know, and it's almost frustrating. It's like, yeah, I can go there and see him, but I got to figure out how to hunt it. And I love that challenge. Yeah. And so that's what I often do is, you know, always be studying and thinking about it, even when you're deer hunting or elk hunting or fishing or taking a ride with the family or camping, yeah. you know, I'm just like, huh, look for sign, be thinking about it, you know. And yeah, it, it seems like that's done well for me, but not everyone can switch their mind onto bears twenty-four seven like I can, you know, it's just crazy. But um
0: do you guys then, see yeah, like, do you guys see fall bears? Do you guys see bears that, the, the you know, typical Alpine mountain bears, do they, you know, they're following the food. So do they follow the food? And then at some point, um, you know, say they're hibern- hibernating up in the, up, up in the snow area, they're hibernating say, you know, for California up in the seven, 8,000 foot range. Do they dive down lower in elevation in the fall? I mean, what's the, what's the, what's the food following pattern, you know, They're so
1: opportunistic. So like, typically they can't den in a lot. They won't den in certain places just because it's not conducive and they'll reuse it. Uh, it. I don't know if it's ever been studied, but I've seen dens and I've been in bear dens and I'm like, this isn't a den that's only been used once, you know? And so I think they have these, they have these places that they key in on food for the fall Mm -hmm. and i think they they travel to them or they're lucky enough that they live near or around them and that's their home range Mm -hmm. and i think they utilize them until they're gone and then i think they start working their way back towards denning locations because when they get in that hyperphagia mode and they get that you watch them they'll eat and fall asleep and they're tired and they're just trying to get so fat as they can yeah i don't you know it just depends on each you know, space that you're hunting. And, and if it's a area where there's a, a temperate climate and the bears don't need to den for very long, they probably travel more and they can say, well, I can go to that, that orchard or whatever. And then I'll go over here and I'm just kind of in the mix. I don't really have a plan, but ooh, when you're in the fall and in, in like higher elevation, they're probably going to move to berries or mm. to some nut or fruit or something. Yeah. And then probably when that dies off, this probably their indication to either move up to elevation to find denning or, you know, be on the look for dens there. So like I never find a den in a berry crop, right. You know, nope. it's always like on some <laughs> rocky face or under a tree, weird spot. And so yeah. I think they're using the food sources until they're gone. Like in the, in the Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, the frost kills them or they get right. eaten up. And so then they have to move to a different food source. And usually by that time they're getting into hibernation mode. And so they'll typically out here, they'll move up into areas where they can hibernate and get covered in snow and have a good den. Right. And then what is that? November for you guys? Yeah. October, November. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen them. I've seen them out in deep snow in September and October. Um, I've seen them at like 11,000 feet, black bears in deep snow, like, And I know that bear was like looking for a den or in his denning area. And they'll do the same thing in the spring. Like they don't just come walking out of their den and start walking down the countryside. They'll stay at that den location for a few days. They got to wake up. You know, they've been sleeping for five, six months and they'll, you know, they'll kind of get their wits about them and move down. So I think as they get closer to den, they're moving to that den location and they're going to be around it. And they'll prep dens. They'll bring in pine boughs, grass, and everything, (laughs) and they'll prep their den. It's just fascinating to me. Yeah. And so, like, that's what I'm looking for in the spring. It's always around food with any wildlife. But for bears, springtime, food is so important. In the fall, the most important thing is just trying to locate that food source, you know, because there's so much. And, And I've actually not been overly successful in the fall because I just... I haven't been out and just targeted fall bears as much. And I know where there's berry patches and stuff, but that might not mean there's a bear there, you know?
0: Got it. Well, you'll have to come to California.
1: I got a and big get a fall dark bear. chocolate with my name on it in that state. I'm telling you. I've we've, seen got, we've got a lot of chocolate big, and cinnamon Big chocolates. <laughs> and he sends me pictures of trail cameras all the time. Like, dude, you are killing me. I need to get there. Cause yeah. that's my last color phase and it's like my dream color phase is like that Hershey's chocolate with the tan muzzle. Yeah. And, I don't know. That one's escaped me.
0: Yeah. We've got a lot of them. I think they're at least the area that I got my bear last year. I feel like I figured it out cause I saw, I had like, I think I had eight encounters with bears over three weekends and one in this one spot. And so I, I think that at that point first week of september or so they're trolling the the shrub oak like the acorns that are on the shrub oaks huckleberry oak um but but man like october is a much more complicated equation because the berries are gone if they're doing if they're hitting oaks it's lower elevation so i think i need to figure out like the my bear had almost no fur like it was so rubbed out it was so that um, late well, oh, no, this was August. It was it was it was oh, a It was ninety okay. degrees. It was yeah. The last yeah. it was the first weekend of September. So it was like ninety degrees out, and so this bear was 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 eating a lot, but it it had very little. Um, the coat was not not uh, it was not uh, very. It was, it was not a great coat, <laughs> and so I'm thinking I gotta fi- I want to find a bear like in that late October time, right as the food is really starting to taper off. And they're going to head up, but they're not up Denning yet.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, it'll be a good, interesting, like, study for you to kind of understand that transition, yeah. right? Like, hey, maybe they're heading down or maybe they're heading up, but it's almost like, you know, sometimes failure breeds success. It's like <laughs> it might take you two years of hunting in October to figure it out, but then once you do... And yeah. you find what they're eating on. It's like the area you were hunting and you saw several bears. Cause you found that food source and right. it's like, okay, I know this now. You can probably yep. go back there this year and kill one in August as well.
0: Yep. You no, know, it's like, just... I
1: want to, yep. I want something different.
0: Yeah. So I, I, and that's what I need to decide is, is do I want to go back there? And if I go back there, I can be, I'll probably be selective. There are a couple of bears that I yeah. saw, but I didn't take that were, that were bigger and, you know, more impressive, et cetera. But um I I do I do think it'd be neat to figure out that that late fall just pre hibernation bear that's and I think I think it I think it yo-yos. I think they go down, hit the latest, you know, nuts and and food crops that are low and then and then they go up. But I haven't I haven't proved that out. So it'd be
1: interesting to see what your buddy says, the biologist that was on, because sometimes there's a food source that not a lot of us know about and you know, it's, uh, the, the stuff they can find with DNA and hair samples. Now yep. they can see carbon data on their DNA and they can look at like what part of our study that we're doing is we're going to do a har- harvest vulnerability to see if what bears are actually utilizing bait sites. Cause we can bait in some places in the fall. Mm-hmm. So they can tell from their hair, it's oh. way beyond my yeah. rationale, but they can tell from their hair if they've eaten like human-based food sources or only grass their entire life. And so, okay. I bet someone knows like, Oh, in October, they're doing this, you know, it, yeah. it's just interesting
0: on the Eastern side of the Sierra where you've got a uh, high desert. Um, you know, That comes right up to the base of the Sierra. There's a lot of pinion juniper and, and I've talked to two biologists that have said that the bears will go over there and they'll just gorge themselves on, on pinion juniper uh, nuts, pinion nuts. And so, and then another, another Another guy I talked to talked about uh, juniper berries. Um, and so that's a late, I think that's a late season crop that they'd be going after. And, and it doesn't look like bear habitat. It looks like, you know, kind of yeah. looks like scrubby, scrubby desert. But uh, if it's there, you know, if the, if the, if the food is there, then, then they'll go for it. Um, and then sometimes one biologist said that the bears, some of the bears that they'd collared stayed over there. The entire winter like they wintered over in this lower elevation space because the food was so plentiful um and then uh others would then return back up to the higher elevation to to hibernate so it's they, interesting yeah we could talk forever they're there. fascinating totally totally fascinating for sure so, all right, man, let's, um, I think, I, I really appreciate it.
1: Um, oh, thanks for having me on, buddy.
0: Yeah, no, hey, everybody, go to Western Bear Foundation, uh, check out their website, check out what they're doing, and uh, in terms of black bear conservation, and uh, I think the mission statement of, of protecting and, and preserving, you know, the, a population of, of, a healthy population of bears, as well as the bear hunting opportunity is is a worthy mission that that we could all get behind and um i know that i've i i've learned from you (laughs) and what you're doing there um in wyoming and um and we'll probably continue to learn from you in terms of what we can do here in the state of california over the next few years to you know to, to to expand the opportunity while also maintaining and supporting the population we've got
1: yeah, and 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 just so everyone knows listening we're developing a chapter program so hopefully soon there'll be a California chapter of the Western Bear cool. Foundation that can kind of unite bear hunters and yeah you know we're we're fully in on the fight with you guys like even though um, you know we do a lot of work and we we changed our name so we have a broader scope now so we want to yep. work in California, New Mexico, Arizona, some of those outlier areas that have a lot of issues and a lot of opportunity. And so that's what we're going to do. But I think getting the chapters developed will give us a a kind of a, a footprint in each state.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The bears are here. That's right. (laughs) The bears are here. all right joe hey thanks a lot and uh we'll, we'll i'll touch base with you uh in not too long and you for will sure. have a you have a welcome there's a welcome mat out for you in the state of california to come down and get that chocolate bear in the fall I
2: appreciate um, it guys I, i'm, I'm sure
1: for all you guys wanting black ones you can come up here <laughs> in the spring <laughs> yeah you can come in spring, spring. Hunt jet black uh, black bears
0: <laughs> absolutely all right man thank you All right, that was a great conversation with Joe from Western Bear Foundation. Uh, they've been doing this work for about 14, 15 years now, and I think uh, I think what they're doing, you know, while they're focused mostly in the northern states, Wyoming, Montana, and they're focused on um, balancing, you know, balancing needs or habitat demands between black bears and grizzly bears, and really giving grizzly bears the focus and support that they need so that those black bear populations can continue to, to be strong and the hunting opportunities continue to be strong. While they're doing that up there, um, we in California have a lot to learn and the opportunity to collaborate with Western Bear Foundation. So I encourage you to uh, drop uh, drop 30 bucks on Western Bear Foundation, get on their membership list, and become a supporter of, of what they're doing and become a follower of, of what what they're doing and, and look forward to, as Joe said, some California, uh, maybe a California chapter of the foundation here uh, in the next year or two. Um, I want to give a shout out to uh, one of my favorite podcasters and and creators of, of hunting content. That's Brian Call. Um, during this podcast, I mentioned the quote or the idea that an unhunted population of predators that becomes habituated to humans is 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 dangerous and you know is a guarantee for conflict and i recall he was recent talk recently talking about some grizzly bears um, that they'd encountered in the back country on some of their bear hunts and he threw that that phrase or that concept out there and i think it is absolutely true and I think it's a reality check that we need to to have and and discuss with um, you know the non non hunting population that's out there that it's it's not fair to people or the wildlife and these predators to enable them to become habituated with human contact and not be fearful of humans and in many ways I think it's actually a very much an unnatural state to allow apex predators to become comfortable around humans, because up until just, you know, modern history, up until the last maybe few decades, humans hunted and killed predators. Uh, Sometimes incidentally, sometimes for protection of their, their people. And always for use of the meat and the fur and the hide and the the claws and, and all that. So a natural state for these predators and humans interacting is that we would hunt them and they would be fearful of us and they would want to avoid us. And when we let that down and that um, that balance goes away, we end up with potentially very dangerous situations for humans, as we are seeing more and more often uh, with a number of the apex predators on the landscape. And we also see an unhealthy situation for the wildlife themselves. Um, you know, hundreds of bears, mountain lions, I should actually say thousands when you include all the different wildlife, but thousands of, of bears, uh, mountain lions, coyotes, et cetera, wolves, are killed under the premise of depredation permits as opposed to hunting. And so even in states where you can't, quote, hunt these animals, they're being killed by wildlife officers when there's conflict. And that benefits nobody, and it doesn't benefit the wildlife. Um, doesn't benefit humans. And so it's, it's not a good place to be. So anyways, um, we've got a lot to learn. We've got a lot to put together in terms of, of a message that, that the hunting community can carry with strength, uh, that's balanced with science. And, um, I look forward to, to learning more in, in, in the upcoming, uh, episodes of this, this bear series. Um, So that's about it for now on this podcast. Another shout out to the A-Zone hunters in California. Archery season kicks off this Saturday. It's going to be hot. Carry plenty of water. Keep cool and be successful. Get that uh, buck broken down and on ice as soon as you can. So you can enjoy that venison over the coming months and year. And uh, most of all, have a great time out there in the field. Hunting ain't easy in California. Thanks, folks.